0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. 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 Um, I'm Althea Brooks, and I'm director of Lifetime Learning in the Office of Engagement. It's a pleasure to welcome you here. Uh, The Alumni Association and Lifetime Learning, we put our heads together, and we plan these events for you, especially every fall. So I'm glad that you're here and taking advantage of them. How many of you are not going on to the game? Hands up. I'm trying to convince our speaker to do this again for us, <laughs> and I just needed her to know that not everybody was going on to the game, that you came especially here to hear her. So go ahead and give Alice Roncher uh, uh, an applause in advance, because we know she's going to give us a great talk. Thank you for being with us today, Alice. Um, just a few housekeeping things before we begin. Can you hear me? Your cell phones, go ahead and power that down, put it on silence, turn it off, enjoy the hour. Uh, Feedback cards, we've passed out those bright orange feedback cards. If you will, take just a moment and uh, fill those out near the end. We've got lots of drawings today, so I hope you've put your name in the uh, little box at the back uh, to win one of those prizes. Uh, Also, we're recording today's lecture, so feel free to to, uh, share that with friends uh, and listen to it again. Uh, What am I missing? Anything at all? So Cindy Frederick, the Associate Vice uh, President for Alumni and Parent Engagement and Annual Giving, she'll be up in just a second to introduce our speaker. Cindy's my boss, so you guys make her feel really welcome, please. Um, But I'm glad you're here, welcome.
1: Thanks, Althea. Coming in this morning, the whole town, I think, is alive. 1230 games. We have reunion volunteers back. The energy in Charlottesville is wonderful. So I'm glad you're here. And it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker. As architect for the university, Alice Raucher advises the Board of Visitors on design guidelines, manages university-wide land use, oversees the architectural design of all capital projects and provides professional guidance associated with all building and landscape projects. I'm tired just listening to everything that she does. Alice also works with the University Advancement Office on the Jeffersonian Grounds Initiative and participates with stakeholders to advance the university's sustainability goals. Alice joined UVA just last September, just one year ago, and in speaking with her and her lovely family, I can tell you she is already a Wahoo. (laughs) But she came to us from the Yale University, where she most recently served as senior architect, major project planner, and chair of the design steering team for the Office of Facilities, Planning, Construction, and Renovation. Prior to joining Yale University, Alice worked as an architect for several firms based in New York City and managed major restoration projects, including preparations for the centennial celebration of Carnegie Hall. She has also held faculty positions at Syracuse University and the New York Institute Institute of Technology. Alice earned a bachelor's degree in studio art, art history from Queens College of the City University of New York and her master's of architecture degree from Syracuse University. Regarding her appointment, President Sullivan said, as we enter the university's third century, we look to Alice and her team to ensure that we have the optimal physical space to achieve our core mission in teaching. Please join me in welcoming Alice Roucher to More Than the Score. Good
2: morning and thank you Cindy for that wonderful introduction. Uh, I've never spoken before a um, large, such a large audience, so please excuse my nervousness a little bit, uh, but I've been assured that you are a friendly crowd, and I've been looking forward to being here today. I love speaking to alumni, especially on a Saturday morning when the game is not until the afternoon, because it means you really love this place, and hopefully its architecture as much as I do. As Cindy mentioned, I'm now officially in this role year, but it's safe to say that you know this place and its culture much better than I do. And of course I spent the last year largely like this. (laughs) Just getting to know the place, the history and the culture, and the people that make UVA the incredible place that it is. I can tell you though why I was so excited to come here. There is no other university whose physical presence is the embodiment of its academic ideals. For an architect, who believes that architecture with a capital A is able to represent something more than just the tangible evidence of building, the academical village represents the uber big idea. Not only did Thomas Jefferson uh, propose a public institution of higher education, a big idea in and of itself, but he proposed how that idea would look and function, from the housing of professors and students, planning for their formal interaction in the classrooms and their casual interaction on the lawn, to the didactic role of the Mm -hmm. actual architectural language. This morning, I'll be showing you some exciting planning projects that we are currently working on. But first, I'd like to put that planning in the proper context and show you how we got here. As we plan for the future, it's imperative to understand where we've come from, what has worked, and what we can do better. I realize this can be said of many things, but with architecture, we live with our mistakes for a long time. I think the annex falls into this uh, category of seemed like a good idea at the time. It's hard for me to look at this uh, image with not, without thinking Pinocchio or supersize me. Anyway, I know you know the grounds intimately, and uh, I'm sorry, but after a year, I have finally exercised the C word for my <laughs> vocabulary. But you may not be aware of some of the facts that I'll be mentioning. And I thought we could warm up with a little game of Trivial Pursuit. And to entice you, there are prizes for the correct answers. So my uh, ably assisted by my daughter, Natalie Mora, I'd ask you if you're the correct answer, please just raise your hand. So the cornerstone of the university was first laid in. Nope. OK, sorry, Who? I heard it back there. Yes, that gentleman. 1817, correct. Thank you very much. <laughs> and this cornerstone was first laid in the location of the Rotunda, Pavilion One, Pavilion Seven. Oh boy, I'm gonna have to get a hand, sorry. Which one? Yes, right here, miss. Yes. What? 7. You got it. Thank you very much. Prizes do it every time. (laughs) And another, which sitting president participated in the laying of this cornerstone and was also a member of the Board of Visitors? Wait, Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe, James Madison, or Terry Sullivan? Uh, No. Sorry. This
0: gentleman
2: right here. Thank you very much, James Monroe. And it's also interesting to know that it was also Monroe who once owned the farm that was eventually purchased by Jefferson for the building of the Academical Village. So now we know that the Academical Village began with the laying of the cornerstone in 1817, and its construction proceeded until 1828 when the Rotunda was complete. The Rotunda has its own incredibly interesting story, including the fire of 1895, the rebuilding in 1898, and the recurring slightly perverse anniversary celebrations of the fire. You may know some of the people in this photograph, I'm sure. But fascinating as this is, it is not the subject of today's talk. It's impossible not to touch on the rotunda, however, given its status as the heart of the university, but also that it just reopened, as you know, after years of renovation. There are many fascinating stories of the renovation, from the roof restoration, the archaeology of the courtyard, the discovery of the chemical hearts, to the restoration of the clock, the carving of the marble capitals by a guild in Carrara, Italy, who, by the way, are sanctioned by the pope to uh, carve replicas of Pieta, not bad company, or the finished plastering of the dome that you see on the right which is the uh, only time, in my experience as an architect, where hard hats have been prohibited from a construction site for the potential harm they could do to the building. <laughs> Luckily, my colleagues, Brian Hogg, who's the Senior Preservation Planner in our office, and Judy LeHendro, who's the Senior Historic Preservation Architect, are also here today and are more than willing to regale you with stories of the past few years. Please go see it this weekend if you haven't already, and keep in mind that the Rotunda's renovation, while magnificent, is only the beginning of a much-needed renovation of the entirety of Jefferson's Academical Village. So when I arrived on grounds last year, not only did I join a talented group of colleagues in the Office of the Architect, but I had an office in Pavilion 2 from which I could monitor the Rotunda's progress every day, in every way. In fact, this was the view from my office window. <laughs> it was not an ivory tower position. Uh, my dream job, but not an ivory tower. And if the rotunda is the heart of the institution, then this year for me was having a, like having a front row seat at open heart surgery. Here you see the dome room in the midst of the surgery and then post-op looking incredibly splendid. Thank you. But back to planning. I find the history of the growth of grounds fascinating, and I'm attempting with these next few slides to show you a rather rudimentary, time-lapsed view that begins with Jefferson's completed village and leads up to the present day, to show you how dramatically the grounds have grown. The areas you see in dark green are forested. The light green represents the cleared fields. The dramatic topography of the land is also shown, with significant hills and valleys, and the network of blue lines show the streams and tributaries in the area. All of these physical attributes affected how the university expanded over the years and continue to guide our planning today. Almost as soon as Jefferson's village was more or less complete in 1828, it was already needing to expand. This physical growth in the 1840s was due largely to the university's reputation, the expanding prosperity of the south, and the development of the railroad network. People could get here relatively quickly and cheaply. Note the railroad lines shown on this image and their relationship to the lawn, understanding that these lines are also used for freight and coal. The topography of the area challenged the expansion of Jefferson's original plan, explaining why the ranges could not be repeated, And as a result, students were were encouraged to live off grounds, in boarding houses in the community. The period between the World Wars saw significant growth in enrollment and buildings, including those for academic, residential, and recreational facilities. You can see how the new buildings closing off the lawn to the south, over here, and Mem Gym, for instance. And apparent also is the growth of the hospital, just east of the lawn, and significantly near the rail lines. Post-war expansion of grounds in the 1950s was largely due to returning GIs. You can look at all the barracks. Oops, ooh, no, I've done it. Sorry. Time lapse even faster. <laughs> so here are the barracks that are currently located on uh, what is now uh, the athletics fields. And popularity of the automobile, a strong, and, a strong economy and increased enrollment through the 1980s, you see here, brought an expansion of grounds beyond what was previously walkable. And here is a plan of grounds today, a significant change from where we began, now spreading over approximately 1,600 acres, but still with an identifiable center, 200 years in the bleak and mid eye. It's interesting to also note that these periods of buildings, while representing to the cha- well, while responding to the changing nature of the university, responded to the larger social and cultural contexts in which the university existed. The 1860s saw stylistic change from the Roman classicism shown here, what we refer to as Jeffersonian here at UVA, in favor of a, a more romantic architecture and landscape style popular at the time. The first director of buildings and grounds, my great, great whatever, uh, was a devotee of this romantic style and set out to remake the university, preparing a master plan to guide the development, also designing the infirmary, now known as Varsity Hall, the first building not to conform to Jefferson's grid. So you ready? One more. You didn't know you're gonna have to work so hard this morning. The person, this person, took what is perhaps the last portrait of Edgar Allan Poe, who, as you know, was a resident of the West Range. This architect and first director of buildings and grounds was, I realize this is a little esoteric, but was it Frederick Law Olmsted, Ed Roseberry, William Abbott Pratt, or Andrew Jackson Davis? Excellent. <laughs> well, you learned something today. <laughs> Thank you. It was William Abbott Pratt. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, this master plan that Pratt designed in 1858 was important in that it introduced buildings, uh, building growth off of Jefferson's grid, proposed meandering pathways surrounding grounds, and architectural styles away from classicism. For example, Brooks Hall, the university's museum of natural history built after the war in 1877, was unique at the time in its use of diverse materials, ornament, and a mansard roof. It may be interesting to note that UVA has always had contemporary architecture on grounds. This period of the 1890s and the rebuilding of the rotunda after the fire of 1895 brought the contemporary Beaux-Arts style to grounds, with classical architecture and an emphasis on coherent planning for buildings, open space, and landscape to create a coherent, harmonious environment in which all components are interrelated. McKim, Mead, and White, the nation's most important and prolific architecture firm at the time, was selected to oversee the reconstruction of the rotunda, as well as to plan the university's, university's expansion at the southern end, and as shown on this plan, and. Cabell, Cock, and Rouse Halls are the results, buildings that most changed the lawn since Jefferson's time. As an aside, and I'm not comparing myself to Stanford White, but as another New York architect invited to grounds, I know exactly how he felt. A later master plan, also in the Beaux-Arts style, was designed by distinguished landscape architect Warren Manning of Boston. In 1913, Manning proposed a series of quadrangles aligned with the original Jeffersonian geometry and devoted to particular functions, such as housing to the south and west, medical facilities to the east, and the fraternities located on Cars Hill and around Mad Bowl. He also understood the natural topography and hydrology of the land that the lawn was on a higher plateau, the roads surrounding it were in valleys. He designed an entrance to the university at at what is now the intersection of Ivy Road and Emmett Street, taking advantage of this topography with scenic bodies of water. Remember these lakes. They make an appearance later in the presentation. With the increasing density of the university and the encroaching development of the town of Charlottesville, Open space and landscape features were, in fact, important design elements, forming the experience within and between precincts. This this design of the between is an important design concept that we continue to this day. Now, we're making a big jump here because the next significant growth of the university was in the 1950s, which saw rapid growth in enrollment, requiring expansion of dormitories to the house returning GIs, as well as the growth of the hospital, which you see here from the lawn. The influence of the Cold War led to the development of graduate and undergraduate programs in science and technology, which led to efforts to expand the university's influence in these fields. These rapidly expanding needs brought new construction on the periphery of grounds. But it was President Darden who actively sought to direct student life back to the lawn, ensuring that Jefferson's compound would always remain the heart of the university, and New Cabell Hall, which you see here directly in the foreground, a new academic classroom building shown in this photo was was built during his tenure. In the 1960s and 70s, modern architecture and new construction technologies challenged the classical styles prevalent at the university, and the striking visual difference of the new buildings posed a potential threat to the integrated environment that the university had developed through their master plans. The importance of master plans also diminished, the thought being that they restricted flexible development. Without an overarching plan to define the university's physical properties, the development of individual buildings and individual sites, such as U Hall and its surrounds, became the direction for campus planning. These changes, along with a new focus on the automobile, brought a suburban character to post war development on most American campuses, our grounds being no different. Like American cities, colleges and universities sprawled over the land with roads for vehicular circulation and demands for parking taking precedence over pedestrian-focused development. Okay, so maybe not as bad as that previous uh, slide of Levittown showed, but keep in mind this is I-95 cutting through Richmond. It shows the dominance of the automobile for urban planning at the time. The development of North Grounds was undertaken in an effort to cope with the explosive growth of the university, with u Hall and Copley Hill housing being the first structures in this northern precinct. The law school and Darden School came later, forming a kind of satellite campus with mixes of recreation, residential, and academic activities. These remote developments, rather than building directly around central grounds, led ultimately to issues of identity and connectivity and challenge the distribution of resources between primary and satellite uh, facilities. In an effort to stem this type of satellite development, in 2008, the Office of the Architect, along with collaborators across Grounds, developed the Grounds Plan, which is a framework plan for growth rather than a prescriptive master plan which named the precincts of Central, North, and West grounds, which you see labeled on this image. It set out to guide future development to coherently knit these satellite precincts together to give the overall grounds a pedestrian-oriented identity and lessen the reliance on cars. The grounds plan identified districts such as areas for mixed-use development, which are shown in the tan and yellow uh, areas you see on the slide, And which by the very nature of mixed use academic and residential programs, follows the original Jeffersonian concept for the academical village. Which brings us to the present day. As we prepare to celebrate our bicentennial and plan for the next century, we want to consider what that means for our physical grounds. And I'd like to show you how all this history we briefly reviewed this morning uh, informs our current planning. We are analyzing currently the existing space the university occupies and looking at that space from a quantitative as well as a qualitative perspective. For instance, we may have a lot of space, but much of it is outdated for the groundbreaking, technically advanced work we still need to do. While we are looking to renovate and repurpose space we already have, understanding that that is the most sustainable approach, we are also planning for the growth that will, over the coming decades, knit the grounds together to encourage pedestrian and bicycle circulation, reinforce our university and public transportation systems, and lessen the reliance on cars. Two of these strategic areas currently under study are the Ivy Corridor and uh, and the area of Brandon Avenue. Brandon Avenue, which is shown here outlined in red in the lower part of the image, is unique in that it is a large, underdeveloped parcel very close to the lawn and adjacent to the College of Arts and Sciences, the McIntyre School of Commerce, and the health system. It is also a desirable student residential area because of its proximity to the lawn. And so it is ideal for the kind of mixed-use development extending the original concept of the academical village. This before and after aerial view shows the current condition of Brandon Avenue on the left side of the slide, which is bordered by the smaller-scale residential area of Valley Road and the larger-scale buildings of the health system to the right. It also shows the asphalt parking lots and existing residential buildings which are currently on the site. The view on the right shows the design we're studying, which reinforces the line of the street while marrying it with the geometry of the lawn. An existing stormwater retention pond is off to the right in both images and is currently an underutilized amenity for the area. As you look at these slides, keep in mind the topography that I've mentioned. So Brandon Avenue is a ridge that slopes dramatically down to the east and west. That retention pond is there for a reason, but it's still underutilized. So this plan is the same it just is now turned 90 degrees so north and the lawn are to the right. The design of what we're calling the Green Street proposes a sustainable approach to dealing with stormwater and recreation simultaneously. The street itself becomes a beautiful and working and la- educational landscape. The idea of connecting Sorry, there we go. The idea of connecting pedestrian experiences through landscape is continued with this design. The green of the lawn continues across Jefferson Park Avenue through South Lawn, providing a connection through the green street towards the health system. And the amenity of the existing stormwater pond is brought into the experience of Brandon Avenue, opening up the street for walking trail potential. Through much of months of planning and meeting with constituent groups across grounds and looking at the merits of locating academic, residential and health-related programs at various locations on the street, we're proposing to situate academic buildings along Jefferson Park Avenue, right over here, closest to the lawn and uh, the College of Arts and Sciences, and presenting a more civic face along the main artery. Residential buildings farther south on the street, right over here and along here, work together with the existing Bice House to create a um, mixed-use student residential neighborhood. And a new and expanded student health center or wellness center is proposed to be in the midst of this student-oriented district. The street itself, with one-way vehicular traffic around the green, becomes much more pedestrian-friendly and connects back to the area of the lawn through an improved intersection. And here are some before and afters. These are the most fun because uh, As architects, this shows you what's been going on inside our heads for a while. So here you see current condition of the intersection of Brandon Avenue, looking south from Jefferson Park Avenue as if you're crossing from the lawn. With the existing Student Health Center on the left, a wonderful and much-needed program but not the best presence on the street, and South Lawn you can see on the far right, And then what it would look like in our scheme for the Green Street, with academic buildings on the corners having a much more civic presence, active mixed-use ground floors not only for the life of the street, but for safety as well, and clearer, safer crosswalks for pedestrians and bicyclists. Similarly, here's an existing view farther south down the street of the parking lot to the west and some residential buildings to the east, And then what the street could look like as an active, multi-use, student-oriented environment with activity at the ground floor, the working landscape becoming the amenity connecting this street to grounds. The other area we're studying is a parcel of land known as the Ivy Corridor at the intersection of Ivy Road and Emmett Street which also occupies a, a strategic location on grounds, but this time because of its ability to, uh, to provide connectivity between central and north grounds. Many of you may be familiar with the Cavalier Inn. Yes, yeah? Great location, but uh, maybe not the great, greatest accommodations and not the best approach to a collegiate environment, especially not one with our august history and world-famous architecture. In the words of Gertrude Gertrude Stein, there is no there, there. (laughs) And so it is in this context that the Board of Visitors recognized this parcel as a priority for the identity and growth of the university, and charged us to study a plan for its improvement, both as an approach to and connection with with the various precincts of grounds. As those of you familiar with Darden or Law can attest, it feels like another world up there. Ask a uh, Darden or Law faculty to meet on central grounds, forget it. Where are we gonna park? It's true. Ask an undergraduate to walk up to the North Grounds Recreation Center, you gotta be kidding me, it's too far. There have also been Dardner Law School students purported to have graduated from UVA never having been to the lawn or to have seen the rotunda. How can that be? And so for the past year, we've been looking at ways to design the between. Remember that? A way to create not only connectivity between the precincts, but to make this place a there in its own right and become a better approach to the university. As I mentioned earlier, the topography and hydrology of the area always play an important role in our planning. We're getting smarter about stormwater uh, planning, for example, and not feeling the need to unsustainably pipe it everywhere. The design of the beautiful, beautiful dell just uh, south of us, just down the road, is an example of that. As we thought about the approaches to central grounds in the design of RV Corridor, it was interesting to overlay the Warren, Warren Manning master plan of 1913 on this contemporary plan, once again using the natural topography to create a scenic entrance with a water feature. But if not lakes at the intersection, we are still proposing having the landscape provide the connective element between central and north grounds in a very UVA-like way. The possibility of taking down the Cavalier Inn and opening up the corner will allow a green landscaped area to be shared by both the University and Charlottesville communities. The central green, with its expanded, daylighted stream, becomes a more substantial amenity with a more substantial identity, providing a way for pedestrian movement through the site up to north grounds. In this scheme, both Emmett Street and Ivy Road are improved roadways for pedestrian, pedestrians and bicyclists, as well as automobiles, and future buildings can, street, can screen the existing parking garage. I understand it's a functional, if not a, an aesthetic amenity and provide a multitude of uses, including hospitality, academic, retail, and residential. The central green feels familiar. Its size and scale based on something very familiar, but now used in a new context. So this dimension from uh, treetop to treetop is the dimension of the central green that we're proposing on Ivy Corridor. And so what was once a less than ideal approach becomes a new, clearer, and safer intersection oriented towards the green. The green itself encourages a variety of uses, and at the intersection marks a significant space at the geographic, if not the spiritual, center of grounds. This view from the middle of the block looking east is now not just bus access, but becomes a central green focused on Cars Hill and Arts Grounds, visually tying the site back to central grounds. The approach from North Emmet, shown in this view, is no longer focused on power lines, traffic, and the Cavalier Inn, but is now a much better place to walk, is more bicycle friendly, and focused on the open space, acknowledging something special at the intersection. And finally, the view from the upper stories on the site is no longer a parking garage and the Cavalier Inn, but becomes a focused view back to the rotunda from our new student and community-oriented usable space. What a way to acknowledge our past as we plan for our future. So I'd like to close by acknowledging the good work of all my colleagues in the Office of the Architect, the UVA Foundation and Facilities Management, and most importantly, our lead consultants. Oops. On the east of these projects, the firms of Perkins and Will and Dumont Jenks. I have the extreme good fortune of being surrounded by a great team. So thank you very much. If you'll, We'll take your questions. Now remember, I've been in, in this position for a year. <laughs>
3: Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for your presentation. First off, I'd like to kudos for the work you've done so far in the very short time you've been here. Well done.
2: Thank you. I have a great,
3: great colleague. And and second, I'd like to say this was an excellent presentation, and you need make no more apologies about your (laughs) qualities as a public speaker. Well done. Thank you. I'm staying. Uh, this weekend at the Cavalier Inn. (laughs) And um, I understand I won't be there next year. But I have no idea where I'm going to stay. And and in this plan, I guess one of the questions I have is um, when I come here for reunions and when I come here for football weekends and basketball weekends and all the other uh, visits, it's always a struggle to find a hotel on the big weekends, I mean, everything sold out. I think that the uh, Darden Inn is an excellent example of what can be done in that area. And so one question I have is what might be in the plans to replace the Cavalier Inn with a quality, attractive building in the style uh, that befits the university at some other location? But also, I look at this plan and I say that looks like a big, open, empty field where there is no there there. Uh, There are lots of trees. It's going to be a lawn that will get mowed. um, But it's just a big, empty pathway between two sites on the university that is still too far for people to walk. Um, You know, there is no... um, i mean i don 't expect a subway or or but it, but some sort of public transportation system, yeah. given the size of the growth and so really, two questions one, uh, for all the people here that come to visit, where will we stay in years to come and Because our numbers are growing as well sure and um, and then are there any plans for that sort of uh, uh, mass transit system within the UV uh, within the Academical village
2: so all all excellent questions I may use the remaining time just on that one question um, so first let me just say that uh, I can't say that the Cavalier won't be there next year so we are charged by the Board of Visitors to provide a schedule you know to make recommendations in June so we all know that you know, the Cavalier Inn has had a wonderful life we know it's a great location and uh, part of our study will be looking at what program is best appropriate on that site, including hospitality. And what I think would be most uh, appropriate, and the Board of Visitors have said this as well, that we need to do a hospitality study of all the universities' hospitality, hospitality uh, holdings and the foundation's holdings, the Cavalier Inn, the Darden Inn, and the Boar's Head, to understand you know, what the market is, understanding that we do have focused, uh, you know, a focused market here, there are a lot of keys coming online in Charlottesville over the next coming years, but we understand that we have a very dedicated alumni, and that's an incredible location. So, it, it is in study. I, I can't. I don't know the results of that study yet, but you know that, those facts are not lost on us. Uh, with regard to the uh, landscape, sorry, Thea, uh, you know I think if you take that one plan in isolation, I can understand why you see it's an open field, but. Uh, when you understand it on and the, and the larger intersection, when you have uh, buildings you know, coming leading up to that intersection and you understand Nameless Field on one corner and Cars Hill Field on the other, and the International Residential College on the other, it becomes a marker of, if not a gateway, an approach to something significant ha- happening on that corner. The other uh, great thing is that, the there will be a uh, an active street. Right now, you know, you're walking on a five foot side. If that four foot sidewalk along a very busy street, and forget it on the on the uh, on the south side of the street, we're up against the wall of the IRC. Um, the idea of improving the streetscape and making it much more tree lined, pedestrian friendly, with academic or commercial or uh, residential buildings on that street will make it a real um, connective element as you walk to Copley, uh, along Copley Road.
4: Your uh, display of the Green Street, uh, but perhaps other areas as well, confused me somewhat as to what the north-south traffic through the university area will become. Because this is not only, unfortunately, uh, the center of academic work, it's also a crossing for Charlottesville going north to south and is highly, highly trafficked. I'm sure you have an answer, but it wasn't clear to me.
2: So you mean Brandon Avenue, Green Street? Is that what you meant?
4: Well, that area was, which is uh, heavily trafficked by JPA. Yes. Uh, and JPA obviously can't really be removed. Are you going to put it in a tunnel.
2: So we're not changing JPA or Emmett Street. We're um, improving, we're hoping to work with the city, who've been uh, great colleagues, and improve the intersection for safety, and synchronize the signalization between Ivy, between the uh, intersection of Ivy Road and uh, Brandon Avenue and all of the, um, you know, the intersections to make sure that there's vehicular movement, as well as safety for pedestrians, be they, you know, um, you know, just community people or, or students. Because right now, the intersections, and in fact, crossing the uh, Ivy Road and on Emmett Street up at you know, the Ivy Road intersection is pretty confusing. So, the Green Street, though, is currently a dead end street. And what we're doing is making it just one way traffic around the green, improving the pedestrian safety um, on just that street. It doesn't affect JPA. And it's, we're, we're not making it, we're proposing to, to make it.
1: Any questions?
4: Here you go, sir. Yeah, there's been talk about having a pedestrian bridge from the Ivy Garage over the tracks to the sports areas. I think that would be very helpful because, I mean, if you walk along Ivy Road, it's pretty dangerous and snowy days and so
2: Yes. Well, so it's that's the uh, streetscape improvement is first and foremost. And then as a uh, program gets developed, we're hoping to um, you know, to make those connections over the over the tracks. Thank you very much for your presentation. And um, as a resident of the Lewis Mountain Neighborhood Association, as a member of our board, all I can do is say thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you.
1: Uh, anything that gives us green space that lets us see the sky. That gives uh, pedestrians and bicycles a safe place to be, and not putting up yet another building. Uh, just thank you, thank you, thank you. Let us breathe. Let us have some green space. Thank
2: you. Well, let me just address that and say, you know, these are proposals, right? These are framework plans, and we uh, are very interested in working with all the neighborhood groups to make sure everyone's concerns are heard. Got
0: one back here.
4: Charlie Folk, class of 65. Good morning. Um, I was here for a bunch of years, so I'm curious about one of the first things you mentioned. Um, I presume, and I haven't been in there, that the rotunda is done to everyone's satisfaction. And whatever office space was used there before is back again with the primary people who it was aimed at originally in those offices. My question is about the building that extended to the west, I believe, or the back side of the rotunda from the lawn. Uh, when you covered that earlier, you said you put the same size building up and, and kind of that was the only thing that I could gather from what you said, but that is a very useful structure, even though it 's not attractive in its position on the opposite side of the rotunda.
0: Could you
4: just go over that very briefly and tell if the building is back at the same size? Or is it smaller or larger? Uh, Is it filled with office space? Or what's in it now? Thank you.
2: Thank you. Uh, I think you're referring to my earlier slide of the annex. Is that, that extended off the back of the rotunda? Is that what you meant? To the north? Brooks Hall? The opposite side from the lawn. Oh, so, I'm sorry, so uh, New Cabell Hall. Yes? New Cabell Hall was, no. 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 The annex. Okay, sorry. The rotunda. Yes.
4: The rotunda, which you just spent a lot of money rebuilding.
2: Yes. The r- okay, rotunda. I got it. Thank you. Okay. The annex, the annex was removed. What year? Here's the lawn. Sorry. Now. So the annex was restored. Was uh... Okay. No, it's all right. So the offices that are in the lower levels of the uh, the wings of the rotunda were restored. And uh, some are are for the Vice President for Student Affairs and the Board of Visitors, but most of the space was returned to the students for seminar rooms. The annex, which was built by Robert Mills to the north side of the uh, rotunda, was destroyed in the fire of 1895.
4: I recall uh, as a graduate student in the mid-1970s that there was a major restoration, renovation of the rotunda done at that time. And I seem to recall that was sort of like the final word and getting it back to what it used to be like. Uh, I'm wondering what was done most recently now, uh, perhaps to change that or make improvements on that? Or what what was perhaps done then that was undone now or was right. not done then. It was done now. And as, as I recall, the, the thing that was driving it was the Bicentennial and the visit by Queen Elizabeth. Am I correct in that? Uh,
2: well, I know Bicentennial uh, returned it from the McKinmead and White re- renovation to uh, the Jeffersonian interior. But I'm going to let Brian and Jody just uh, deal with those specific questions, if you don't mind.
3: Um, so we... we um, We left a lot of the interior work from that 1970s renovation intact. There wasn't a lot of reason to change that. A good portion of the work was in replacing the mechanical systems of the building, which were wearing out, so new air conditioning, plumbing, power, data. Um, We did make some interior changes. Another 40 years' worth of research into the building has shown us where some things that were done we thought should be done differently. But I think if you go into the building today, it will look very familiar to you from that 1970s renovation.
0: Any other questions related to the restoration? Any other questions related to the Rotunda restoration? Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was fun.
1: Thank you very much. Alice.